Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, so if you'll turn now in your Bible to Genesis chapter 37, we'll continue our study and we're going to start with prayer. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a teaching father for being a father who loves us and instructs us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis 37, beginning verse 1. Please follow along. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, with the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. Wow, they hated him. All right. But and he could not. They couldn't speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren. They hated him yet the more. He said unto them, I hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Lo, my sheep arose, also stood upright. Behold, your sheep stood round about, made obeisance to my sheep. His brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, told his brethren, said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. He told his father to his brethren. His father rebuked him, said unto him, What's this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? His brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. His brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, and Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. And he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him. And behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? All right, now as far as we go. Now, this chapter 37, as we read it here, and I was trying to emphasize it as we were reading these certain parts, because it really opens up with everything just going so well for Joseph. Everything's perfect. You know, in verse 3, you really get the sense of this. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, and what did he do? Made him a coat of many colors. And we saw that it couldn't have been more ideal for Joseph. I mean, Joseph was a miracle baby to start with because because it was just assumed that Rachel could never have any children. And then this miracle came of Joseph's birth, and the father couldn't have been more thrilled at the birth of Joseph. 
And so he had this unusual love for Joseph as he saw in Joseph that there's going to be a continuation of Jacob's new life as Israel. And Jacob then makes him a coat, and really it's a coat of love for Joseph. And Jacob, because he especially loved Joseph more than his other children because he was the son of his old age. I mean, life couldn't have been better for Joseph. It was just so ideal. And then it all started to go downhill from there. And it went downhill fast. And it all happened by the time we, we, we took this tremendous journey from verse 3 to verse 4. <laughs> verse 4, it says, When his brethren saw that his father loved them more than all his brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. Anyone here ever been like that? Everyone here ever been on the Joseph Road, on the Job Road, where everything's just going your way, and then all of a sudden, it, 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 Everything starts to go wrong. Tragedy. That's what's happening here with Joseph. Joseph's brothers made life miserable for him because they had this irrational hatred. I mean, it was irrational. There wasn't any reason to it. You couldn't say a basis for it. It's just like when the Lord spoke about the hatred against himself, it says in John 15, 24, the Lord said, John 15, 24, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, They had not had sin, but now they both have seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth which proceeds from the father, he'll testify of me. So just like the Lord Jesus, who exposed sin and suffered hatred as a result of it, Joseph exposed the sin of his brothers, in verse 1, when he brought that evil report, and they hated him. And the Lord Jesus called the hatred against himself. They hated me without a cause. They should have loved the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he was opening their eyes to their sin that was separating them from God. But they, and that was keeping them from God. But he opens their eyes to their sins so they could then go to God, be saved from their sins. But they chose to hate instead. They chose hatred. And Joseph's brothers also hated Joseph without a cause. Why? Because they should have loved Joseph for opening their eyes to their sins so they could repent, not destroy themselves. But they chose to hate instead. And the hatred of the Lord Jesus was so great It was a great hatred. As a matter of fact, when the Bible talks about the time in the Old Testament, when he came, the Bible calls that the days of visitation in Hosea 9.7. Hosea 9.7 says, the days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. And here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, the prophet's a fool. Spiritual man is mad. The multitude of thine iniquity. And then he says, and the great hatred, the great hatred. That's pretty bad to have a title of the great hatred. I mean, think of it. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, he encountered the great hatred, the old hatred, the great hatred. And we've seen how this great hatred also here in our chapter 37 here, it just grew as with, with, in the brothers when Joseph's dreams, from really from verses 5 to 11, I mean, it just got worse and worse. It starts off in verse 4. They hated him. It goes on in verse 5. They hated him yet the more. 
And then in verse 38, they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And finally, verse 11, it says, the brethren envied him, which has the element of hate in it. Now, okay, so what's happening here? Well, Jacob, we know, has got a big flock. He got that from Laban. It's a big flock. And there's just, and that's great to have a big flock. There's just one problem. Big flock, eat big amount. <laughs> okay? And so big flock need big pasture, you know? And, and finding enough pasture for the flock, that was a continuing problem, you know? And sometimes the flock had to be taken a long ways, you know, from home to find pasture. Well, that's what happened here. And in verse 12, it says, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, Jacob's in Hebron. Hebron. The flock has to be taken all the way to Shechem, to Shechem to find pasture. How far is that? About 100 miles, okay? So that's like kind of like Jacob's here in San Diego, and his flocks have to walk all the way to Los Angeles, all right, to find pasture. And that's the last word that Jacob has about where his sons and his flocks are, about 100 miles away. Why? They hadn't set up those cell phone towers yet. <laughs> so they couldn't call, you know. But we're going to see, we're going to see that when Joseph went looking for his brothers in Shechem, they weren't there. They moved, we're going to see, they move on to another place called Dothan. Why? Because they had to keep moving to find pasture for this big amount of, of sheep or flocks. Now, this is really something. I mean, you think that if you were Joseph in San Diego and your father asked you, I want you to walk to Los Angeles. I think about that. I want you to walk. You can start right now this afternoon. Start walking to Los Angeles. Okay? Walk to Los Angeles. Find out how your brothers are and then walk back to San Diego and tell me. All right? Walk to Los Angeles and back. Oh, that's easy, right? You know. So that's exactly what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening here. As we can see, Jacob sending Joseph to find out how his brothers back and bring him uh, brothers are, bring him word back in verse fourteen. He said unto him, "Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, well with the flocks, and bring me word again. Go, come." And, and so he sent him out of the vale of Hebron. Now, can you imagine this? There's Jacob and Joseph, and they're they're home alone in in San Diego. You know, and the last word that Joseph's brothers were in Los Angeles, so he sends them to walk all the way up to LA, sends Joseph to walk all the way up to LA and find out how they are, walk back to home. Okay. And, and we think that, you know, you look at this, you think you've got problems in life, you've got challenges in life, you've got hard things to do. I mean, just think how this sounded to Joseph. I mean, Joseph, when he heard his father said, Go, I pray thee in verse 14. I mean, just think of how safe and secure. Joseph felt when he was there alone with his father at home. Joseph, to hear these words from the father, the one that loved him, go, I pray thee. It must have come like a lightning bolt to him. You know, I mean, talk about being troubled by one word. Go. (laughs) And Joseph, to Joseph, the word go was a shock. It was a shock because of what that one word go meant. I mean, what did that mean to Joseph when he hears go? What did go mean to Joseph? Go, as we've already been talking about, means to walk the distance from San Diego to Los Angeles and back again. That's not easy. Go means to walk alone up there and back. And it was dangerous. You know, there were wild animals. David talks about the bear and the, and the lion. Then there was a lion, you remember, in Kings that destroyed the prophet. I mean, there's wild animals out there. There's wild animals like lions and bears along the way. 
So go means go alone to the brothers that hate you so much. And they couldn't say shalom to you. They could not bring themselves to say shalom. And that's what's so amazing about Joseph because with this one terrifying word of go, Joseph, who was his father's favorite, he did not resent becoming his father's servant. Think about that. He was his father's favorite, and he didn't resent becoming his father's servant. Joseph, who was his father's favorite, did not think of his own safety and his own welfare, and he didn't put up any objections to his father's will here. Joseph, who was his father's favorite, he didn't advance his own will to stay. No, I want to stay in the comfort and the safety of Hebron. He didn't, but he, didn't, he did not advance his will over his father's will. Now, those three statements there, that describes Joseph when he got the command to go. And they are simply, Joseph did not resent the command. Joseph did not think of his own safety. Joseph did not advance his own will. Now, we think about those things there in verse 14 where it says go. Now think about the same thing of the word gave in John 3.16 when the Lord Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that's what's so amazing about the Lord Jesus because of the word gave. See, the Lord Jesus was his father's favorite, just like Joseph. He did not resent becoming his father's gift to the world, gave. The Lord Jesus, who was his father's favorite, did not think of his own safety and his welfare and gave no objections to his father's will to give him to the world, gave. The Lord Jesus, who was his father's favorite, did not advance his own will to stay in the comfort and safety of heaven. I mean, the Lord Jesus, who was his father's favorite, did not advance his will to stay in the comfort of heaven, but instead advanced the will of his father over his own will. So these three statements that describe the Lord Jesus Christ when the father made him an offering for the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus did not resent the command. The The Lord Jesus did not think of his own safety, the Lord Jesus did not advance his own will over over the Father. So on both parts of the Lord Jesus and Joseph, what's amazing is that they were sent, and there's a total absence. You look in this chapter 37, there's a total absence of any objections, any objections. Both Joseph and the Lord Jesus, even though they were the favorites of their fathers, they were happy to become their father's servants. The sons were sent by their fathers, away from their fathers. And in both cases, because they loved their fathers so much, see, that's why they did it. So this absence in this chapter of any hesitation, any resistance, makes us see that they both embraced the opportunity to be able to be what their fathers wanted. They embraced it. Joseph embraced it. The Lord Jesus embraced it. And when I see this, playing out for us here. I just can't help but think of Adina and Randy. I mean, there they are, you know, from our chapel, safety, security, our chapel, I guess it's safe, secure, but anyway. And they're over there in Joss in Nigeria. Now, 
it's not that Joss, Nigeria, is particularly safe and comfortable, but Joss is not a Muslim city. And the predominant population is not Muslim in Joss. They consider themselves Christian, not Muslim. And that's where Adina and Randy have lived for years among the Christians with Hillside Christian Academy there. I mean, relatively speaking, apart from a few explosions in churches once in a while, life is stable. Life is comfortable in Jaws. Life is predictable. Life is relatively safe for them. And that's important when you're in your late 50s, believe me. (laughs) Today I'm marking out the day when I'm in my second half of my later 60s. But anyway. So, but their mission, their mission, SIM, had one missionary in the northern city near the border of uh, Nigeria with a Muslim city, Kano. And in May 2013, Boko Haram targeted the remaining Christians in Kano so that mission evacuated that family. It wasn't safe for them to be there. Now, Adina and Randy have been called to go from Joss to that dangerous city of Kano. And they're going to that dangerous city of Kano, and they quoted Beth Moore in the process who said... Beth Moore said, when the call of Christ sears a hole through your self-protectiveness, you go wherever he leads, whether or not you feel like you are fit. And the same three phases that describe Joseph and the Lord Jesus now describe Randy and Adina. Randy and Adina did not resent the call to go to Kano. Randy and Adina did not think of their own safety in going to Kano. Randy and Adina did not advance their own will over God's will to go to Kano. And I can't think of this and all this about, without thinking about the time when we decided to stay in Ethiopia. I went to Ethiopia in December 2007, and when I saw how desperately the people needed the Lord Jesus Christ, I determined on that first trip right there, just I think I was there for a couple days, that before I came back to the States, that we would build a company and that through business, we would bring the gospel to the people of Ethiopia. But I had no idea how hard it is to have a business in Ethiopia. And now, if someone tells me that they want to go to Ethiopia for business reasons, I tell them I know a good psychiatrist. (laughs) So (laughs) we located in a Muslim city, and, and so the first thing we knew we needed was, was uh, a little security, you know, a half a mile long, tall, solid, concrete security wall. And so we went out to try and find builders, and when the builder said that he quoted us, okay, that's going to cost you $200,000 to build the wall. But then, within two weeks, he says, no, i got to revise that quote to $400,000. Now, we're reeling, you know. And then two weeks later, he says, no, it's $600,000. And then two weeks later, he says, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's for sure over a million dollars. All right? And so we'd seen this pattern before in Africa. We call it the African disease. The African disease is uh, you're I'm a Westerner. Your, goal, your, your whole purpose in life is to give me your money. I am an African. My whole purpose in life is to take your money. Okay? So that's African disease. And so anyway, and we've seen this before. And at that point, with this building situation, we'd had enough. We'd had enough with Africa. We were angry, and we said, okay, that's it. We're leaving. And so myself and John from work, Deanna from work, from the company, we made what we thought was our last trip to Africa. 
And we were going there, pack up the stuff we could carry back, sell off the rest, leave Africa for good, say, sayonara, that's it, we're finished. I was angry. And so we had flown from London to Nairobi, spent the night, and now it was early in the morning in Nairobi, and we were at the airport to get the early morning flight to Ethiopia and just say, you know what? Let the Africans fend for themselves. We're leaving. It was a bad idea. And I was thinking how I could not, I remember I was thinking at that time we are in the airport, I, I was thinking I can't get out of Africa fast enough. And so I was just kind of sitting there stewing in, uh, in bad stuff. And I was watching a young American family go through security. And it was amusing. It was really amusing. And I was sitting there watching, I said, this is really interesting, funny, you know, because the, the, the luggage was coming off the x-ray rack, they had big, you know, suitcases, and they're all piling up, and the guy is frantically trying to get his luggage together. Meanwhile, he's got all of his family's passports, and he's trying to make sure he's got all the passport. Meanwhile, the x-ray machine keeps on piling up his <laughs> the luggage, you know, and the children, they had three young children, and they were running all over the place, and the wife was, you know, she was like trying to get them together like she was herding cats, you know? <laughs> and I thought, this is really amusing, you know. So I walked over to her and I said, oh, you know, what part of the States are you from? And, and she told me and I said, oh, that's nice. I said, so where are you going? And she said, Sudan. And I went, like this, I just changed it, Sudan. All I could see was red. I was, my anger against Africa just came to a head as I thought Sudan. And I actually yelled. I didn't realize I was young, but I was yelling, Sudan! How could you bring your family to Sudan? Sudan, they don't speak with words there. They talk with bullets. Don't you know that? I said, you know, why would you do this to your kids? Why would you do this to your family? What's the matter with you? Why are you going to Sudan? Why, why, why? You know, why, why would you go to Sudan? And, and, and the whole hall got silent at that point, you know. And they were all staring at the scene, you know. And I, as I asked her, why in the world would you go to Sudan? And they all looked at me, and it was, like I said, everything was quiet. And the woman just said, because God asked us to. Oh. <laughs> Those five words, because God asked us to, they just burned into my soul. And I, I mean, I can see her right now, you know, in, in my mind as I'm talking to you. As she's saying this, five words just became forever burned in my soul because God asked us to. And when she said that, I was shattered. I was just shattered. And so was John, and so was Diana. And none of us said a word to each other in the airport. We went to security. We were just like, hmm. We sat on a two-hour flight together. Nobody said a word. We just were sitting there as we flew from Nairobi to Addis. And that was the most silent flight I've ever been on. And so when we landed there, none of us said a word to each other, but we all knew we had to stay in Ethiopia. Why? Because God asked us to. And we didn't know how we are going to get anything built But we said, okay, we're staying, and we did stay. And then the most amazing thing happened. The very best builder in the whole region there uh, of Ethiopia where we are, he walks, he he worked over at the polio clinic. He walked across the street, the road, and to our compound, and he heard we needed a builder. And uh, so he said to us, uh, you know, I hear you need a builder. We said, yeah. He says, uh, we didn't even know who he was. He was the best builder. He said, well, you know, I'll build your wall, and I'll build all your buildings. And we said, oh, yeah, okay, here comes the African disease. How much are you going to charge? He says, I'll do it for free. (music) 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back. So join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 